How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to the Creative Collision Podcast. This is your host, Said here, bringing you a new episode. This one will be similar to the last one I did, where I'm going to talk about the Dodgers and uh, just how things are going, but also since they wrapped up the division, the division's basically um, all all over. Um, I'm going to start to look into possible playoff scenarios and playoff roster stuff. Um, since you know, at this point in the season, it's just uh, it's just a matter of staying healthy and continuing to play well uh, for the playoffs. So start looking into that. I'm also going to uh, talk about a couple of TV shows that uh, I've been watching. Uh, one of them just finished. Better Call Saul just ended. Had the series finale. So I'm going to talk about um, what I thought about the last season and just the overall series. And just, you know, how the show compares uh, to to Breaking Bad and just the whole Breaking Bad universe. Um, as well as... Uh, at the legacy of the show, uh, legacy is also another show I'm going to talk about. It's uh, the Lakers show on Hulu, uh, Lakers documentary called Legacy about uh, basically the Lakers' rise to to um, power in the you know starting basically starting with in the 80s when Jerry Buss bought the team all the way through present day. Um, so far, they've done three episodes, so I'm going to talk about that show so so far and what I like about it and some of the things I learned from it. So uh, without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, so the Dodgers have continued to play well, of course. They just uh, swept the Marlins, um, basically roughed up the NL Cy Young, um, the candidate to win it, you know, the number one the number one guy that is uh, in the front running for the Cy Young, Sandy Alcantara for the Marlins, if I say that right. Alcantara, Alcantara. I'm not exactly sure how to say it, to be honest. But, um, you know, he's having a great season. Um, for the Marlins and the Dodgers, um, yeah, they got to him. He allowed six runs, I think, on like three and a third, three and two thirds. I don't think he made it through four innings, if I remember correctly. So, the Dodgers' offense is, is continuing to uh, to just be consistent, uh, scoring you know six, seven runs a game uh, right now. Um, you know, everybody's producing. Um, Joey Gallo has had a big game uh, against uh, against Sandy, um, so he's he's playing well. Um, Muncy started to hit, starting to hit. Turner, you know, Bellinger is starting showing signs. Still has his struggles, but you know he's showing some some signs. So the offense is clicking one through nine for the most part right now, and that's just scary. So they're they're going to be unbeatable if their offense is clicking like that. So. I'm, at this point, I think they're like 18 games up in the division. Uh, there's not really much to talk about there. We all know what happened with the Padres. They won the trade deadline. And they celebrated the trade deadline, but you still got to play the games. You still got to try to win these games. And then I think there's under 500 since uh, the Juan Soto trade. And we know what happened with uh, Tatis. Uh, so that's you know that's old news now at this point. So I'm not going to really talk about that. But uh, with the Dodgers such a big lead in the division... It's, you know, we're getting towards late August. We only have about 40 games left. So it's, uh, it's, I think it's a good time to start thinking about the playoffs and thinking about possible roster construction and, and lineup. So big news, you know, with Walker Bueller going down for the rest of the season, getting elbow surgery, uh, the rotation is going to be probably the biggest question mark. Um, going into the playoffs, not the question mark in the sense that it's not it's not going to be a good rotation. We know it's going to be a good rotation, but 
as far as um, the the order, you know, the the way Dave Roberts and the Dodgers choose to to start, you know, whether you, at this point, you, you, I think the most likely candidate to start a game one would be a uh, Julio Urias. Um, I think he's been the the most consistent pitcher, especially lately. And he also has the most uh, experience in the playoffs compared to some of the other options, right? Which are um, Tony Gosselin, Tyler Anderson, uh, Andrew Heaney. Um, of course, if Kershaw's healthy, he's going to be in there. Uh, but, no, uh, I think it's a pretty pretty confident statement to say Urias probably be the game one starter in a, in a rotation. Uh, but after that, you know, there's so many options they can go in. Um, now Dustin May is back now, too. And he looked he looked great against the Marlins. So I mean, he had some of the nastiest stuff in baseball. So uh, you know, a healthy Dustin May, you put that in that rotation, um, they can go they can go a lot of directions. You know, you can go um, you can go four four deep. Usually, you need at least you know you need four starters right uh, for a playoff rotation. Um, so they have options to choose from. Um, Assuming you know you're healthy by that point in time, you go Urias, Gonsolin, um, Tyler Anderson, and Dustin May, or you can you know put Heaney in there and, um, instead, and maybe have Tyler Anderson kind of piggyback off one of the starters like he did in the beginning of the season when uh, he was piggybacking off a of Tony Gonsolin starts. He can maybe do something like that. If Kershaw's healthy, he's got to be in the rotation. Uh, I don't think you can't have him come out the bullpen. You know, he just, that's not something he's used to. Not something he's ever had a lot of success in the playoffs doing anyway. So you want him to start, but if you go four deep, you got some options for like the fifth, a fifth starter to be like the, like a long relief piggyback type of starter. And in my opinion, like the best options for that would be someone like Tyler Anderson because he has experience doing it. Um, as well as you know, even Andrew Heaney. You know, Andrew Heaney has dealt with injuries all year, but he's been really good when he's played, when he's pitched. Um, he's just came off a uh, bad start, so it was his first really tough start of the season, his last time out. But uh, Heaney is a guy that you know because he doesn't he hasn't really pitched deep into games and has dealt with a lot of. A lot of injuries it, he's only been stretched out to go like 70 pitches all year so because of that he's a good option to come out uh, out of the bullpen come playoff time you know and he can be that extra lefty they need because uh when it comes to, to the lefties and the, the bullpen you know Kayla Ferguson is good I have a lot of confidence in Ferguson um also you know Vestia has been good uh but Vestia Vestia sometimes makes me nervous because he does walk people. He does get a little a little wild. Um, so to have like a third lefty, like a Heaney coming out of the bullpen, come playoff time, I think that would be that would be pretty pretty dangerous because he's he's been hard to hit this year. Heaney's slider has really really changed him, and he's been a very you know very hard to hard to hit t- pitcher this year. He strikes out his strikeout rate is phenomenal this year he's averaging something like 13 strikeouts per nine innings so come playoff time you need some of those guys coming out of the, the bullpen um you need guys that can strike people out and and sometimes you know that that bullpen for as good as the darts bullpen has been um you know they don't have a lot of 
guys that can punch people out on the time you need it. So that's kind of one one thing there that I hope they improve on getting getting the they'll strike out like shutdown guys and really so far it's you know you have Evan Phillips and that's really really it that can really rely upon to get out of a jam if you need to strike people out. Um, Almonte's been good but he's hurt. Um, you know Gratterall's coming back but you know Gratterall he's always had a problem missing bats and striking people out. So uh, I think that's probably the biggest the biggest uh, concern with the Dodgers, not just their bullpen, but their pitching staff as a whole. Um, they're all really good. Obviously, they lead the league in team ERA. Uh, but when it comes to like those getting those big big strikeouts in key situations, sometimes you feel like uh, they don't. They're you know they're missing a little bit of that. And another guy that can help out with that is training. Of course, if training comes back and it's healthy, he's going to help with that. Um, same thing with Dustin May. Now, now that Dustin May is back, you have that. You know that starter that can throw 98, 99, 100 miles an hour. Uh, that's that's nice to have come playoff time and and uh, a guy that can just punch people out when he needs to. Uh, because for the most part, you know the rotation. Uh, a lot of those guys are pitch to contact guys. You know Gonsolin, Tyler Anderson, uh, even uh, Kershaw. Kershaw nowadays is more of a pitch to contact um, guy. You know he still can strike people out, but. He doesn't rely on that anymore as much. Uh, Urias can get you a strikeout when he needs one, but he's also, you know, a guy that's looking to just get get out, get quick out. So, um, the main concern, of course, is being healthy. But come, you know, come playoff time. And the good thing is this year they're gonna have like they're gonna have like five days off in between uh in between the start start of the NLDS after the season ends. So they're gonna be well rested. And the way the playoff format is this year and it, it kind of benefits the Dodgers more than I think in years past because you don't really have the, I don't think you have the same amount of days off in, be, in between uh, travel days. Um, from what I see, I think there's not, you know, going from a, I think a game four to a game five, usually there's a day off in between, but I don't, I don't think there's going to be a day off in the NLDS, maybe just one. So you, so you know, in years past, you know, you can have like just three, three good starters, and that can carry you uh, in a playoff run uh, because you, can, you know, you can start one on three days rest. You have like an extra day off there that you're not gonna have this year, so you can be a little bit more rested. But this year, for sure, you're gonna need at least four guys. You know, you're gonna need at least four starters, and that's gonna benefit the Dodgers because they're deeper. When you look around the National League, uh, I think the main, the main concern is the Mets. You know, the Mets. Uh, probably the the second best team in the National League probably would be the most, um, at least in my opinion, they're the biggest threat to the Dodgers, and that's really because you know their rotation, right? They have they have Scherzer and Degrom, and if they're healthy, that top two is better than any anybody else's top two in the league. Um, but at, you know after that you go three, four, and five. They got you know still got good pitchers, but that's where there's a fall off there. So so the Dodgers. Might not have the same one two with the Mets, but they're they're three through five. It's gonna be better, and and in a long series, that's that's what you hope for. Um, you want to have the you want to have the the depth at that point. Um, so you know the Mets are you know they're looking good. They're playing well. Um, they you know their pitching, of course, is is um, is dangerous. 
and the way they match up to against the Dodgers. The Dodgers struggle more, at least their lineup struggles more with, with um, you know, power pitchers that can strike strike you out. It's funny because Alcantara, he's always been bad against the Dodgers. Um, he struggled really bad against the Dodgers and Dodger Stadium. But he's a guy that throws hard. You know, he throws 98, 99, but he's not a strikeout guy. He's a, he's a guy that doesn't look to strike people out every time he's up there trying to get, you know, soft contact and quick outs. Uh, but those type of pitchers are the ones that struggle the most, I think, against the Dodgers. You need guys that can get some swing and miss because the Dodgers do have a lot of that in their lineup, you know, especially the the bottom half of their lineup. Guys like Muncie, Gallo, Bellinger, you know, Chris Taylor, these are all guys that, that strike it a lot. And those type of pitchers that can strike you out a lot are are, are the biggest threats, you know, that, that make the Dodgers, you know, have to work the most, so... They, that's where they struggle the most. And uh, I know they have an upcoming series against the Brewers. And the Brewers, they have great pitching. They have actually pitchers that that all, they all punch guys out. But their lineup, they're, you know, they don't have the lineup to really compete um, on that end. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, there's no concern for me with the lineup. I think the Dodgers are going to be able to hit uh, really well, right? And, I mean, they've been hitting really well all year. Um, I don't think that's going to stop even come playoff time. That's not what I'm concerned about. I guess the main concern would be um, the rotation and how, how it's going to line up and then the bullpen and how they kind of choose to use the bullpen. Um, at this point, though, you don't want to think about it too much. There's still, still enough time left to figure things out. But, you know, with, it's way different than last year where we were fighting to the end. Um, going to literally the last game of the season with the Giants to win the division and then having to play a wild card because uh, um, uh, uh, because the Giants last year winning the division. So they're going to be much more well-rested. They're already kind of looking forward to the to that, you know, playoff. They don't want to get too ahead of themselves, but it is, I feel like, time to really start to look at, at those matchups and possibilities. So... Um, those are my thoughts, you know, on the Dodgers kind of little, you know, just where I'm at this point of the season with 40 games left and the playoffs around the corners, uh, not too long now. So yeah, those are my, those are my thoughts so far. Um, they're going to, you know, the pace that they're on 112 wins, um, right now is incredible. So we do want to enjoy the moment because historically this is a, a team for the ages when it comes to how, how well they performed in the regular season. They're, they're on a trajectory that's historical, uh, especially if they win a World Series. That's going to be one of the greatest. It could be one of the greatest teams of all time, you know, at the end of the day. So, um, so we got to enjoy these these moments, these games, uh, this this team because it's it's a historical team. So, so enjoy these regular season games. Uh, they're all stress free now. Not the, now, don't have to worry about any anything happening in the division here. Just stay healthy and. And uh, let's just be ready for the playoffs. So uh, that will do it for this topic. And I'll take a little break. And I'll be back back in just a second. Actually, just as all the recording uh, um, right now, uh, Dodgers, some breaking news from the Dodgers end. They just agreed to a, um, a one-year extension with Max Muncy for $13.5 million, And they have a club option for $10 million next year. 
So that's not shocking news, but that's that's uh, kind of that's nice to see. Masia had been struggling all year, starting to turn around lately. I know he was on the last year of his contract, and he had a player. No, there's a team option next year for I think like 13 million anyway. So, um, so it's kind of just like basically the Dodgers uh, have agreed to pick up his option. Uh, without waiting till the season ends, even with the struggles, it seemed likely that they're going to pick up his option because there's only 13 mil. You know, with 13 million to to Dodgers for for Max Muncy right now, right? So they basically uh, sort of the same thing as picking up the option, but it's just, it's an extension. So um, he's going to be here for next year. Then there's an additional option for 10 mil in 2024 with some incentives. It says so. Uh, yeah, cool. I mean. Muncy's Muncy's a good player. He Muncy's despite his struggles, he there's a lot of value he brings. Um, you know, especially next year, having not for sure having him next year, um, because uh, you know Turner. We don't know what's gonna happen with Justin Turner. Turner is he's up there in age. Is he gonna retire? Or, you know what's what's gonna be the deal with Turner, right? So if Turner if Turner doesn't come back next year, then Muncy can just slide in right there at third base where he's been. Uh, pretty solid all year defensively at third base and and uh yeah that's that's good so max muncie we'll see for at least another year for sure uh so uh, that one that will end the topic now uh just i decided to to end it it's got this breaking news so i figured might as well talk about it since i'm i'm already recording um so yeah i'll catch you on um on the next topic here i'm gonna get into uh, uh better console and my thoughts on the on the series finale and uh the show overall All right, so Better Call Saul ended about a week ago as I'm recording this, and um, it was a great show, great series finale, uh, first and foremost, what I'm say. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I had like, no problems with it, really, like even sitting on it for like a week, uh, thinking about it. Um, nothing has changed from, from my first thoughts initially when I, when I uh, watched it last week. Um, it was, it was, to me, I like, as soon as it ended, I was like, this was great. This was an amazing ending. And I still feel that way. So I wasn't being prisoner of the moment or anything like that. I thought the show um, ended uh, perfectly. It just made the most sense the way it ended. And, um, you know, I was talking to my coworkers. He was thinking he was going to, you know, maybe he's probably going to die. I was like, no, there's, it doesn't make sense for him to die. The most logical ending is him going to jail. You know, um, you know, what? Walt died in a blaze of glory, you know, shootout, right? Walt had his, sh- his shootout, he died, Jesse got away, and then, you know, it makes sense that Saul will be the one that gets locked up, and, uh, you know, was, he never was, uh, you know, he wasn't going to go out in a in a shootout, it's not like, that was that wasn't, that wasn't, um, that wasn't Saul's per- personality, he wasn't, even, even though he got a little, you know that uh, when he threatened Carol uh, Burnett with the with the phone cord, you know he looked he got a little scary there. But he, he's not a violent guy. We never known Saul the violent guy. So for him to go out in some sort of crazy guns blazing shootout was would have been dumb in my opinion. That's not who he is. That's not um, that's not his character. It would have, it would have not been true to the character we've been watching. It would have been uh, just something just for for um 
just to make a splash or something they with their choice. And you know, with Vince Gilligan and Peter Gold, they don't make decisions like that just for shock value, right? Uh, they stay true to the characters. And I thought the ending was very true to, to his character and also um, Kim's. Um, um, the fact that, you know, he had that big court scene uh, it makes the most sense. You know, he's going to defend himself. You know, he he worked, you know, used his, his superpower, which is his mouth, to work a deal to go from 86, I think 86 years or something like that initially down to seven years seven and a half years right and then uh realizing kim kind of confessed and and told uh howard's ex-wife about what happened and that that's what triggered uh saul to to come to terms with his decisions too and uh tell the truth in the courtroom uh despite you know getting those 86 years and uh, it was it was just fitting. It was the ending that made a lot of sense. It it was honest. It was a very true ending to uh, to Saul, and uh, he you know went back to being Jimmy McGill at the end, um, coming to terms with his decisions and accepting all his you know mistakes at the end of the day to redeem himself, sort of you know, and that's uh, that's what makes this show so great is. Uh, is the fact that is did he get redeemed or not you know is you got you still gonna have these opinions and people can talk about it and and take what they feel uh was the meaning for them so I mean, overall it was it was a great show i know at times it felt slow and even for me you know uh someone who loves breaking bad and uh, I love Better Call Saul. You know, at times it, there was slow parts. They were like, "Where right, is where is this going? Where are we gonna end up?" And uh, it had, you know, had its lows here and there. But I was always uh, intrigued. I was always it never lost me. I was always involved and and always awaiting the next the next season, the next episode. And uh, it was definitely uh, they've definitely paid off. It paid off for all the time invested in the show. Um, Peter Gold and Gilligan, they really, they really paid off at the end. Uh, and it was all, it was all just a great ride. It was a great ride. And, and probably one of the last few shows I'm going to see live, you know, on a week by week basis. Nowadays, you know, you just stream everything. There's still obviously shows I see uh, when they, when they come out live, but, um, uh, I was heavily invested in the show and, and, uh, that's rare to be heavily invested on the sh in the show on a week by week basis like this. So, great, great ending. Um, it was, it was special. It was such a great way to wrap up the Breaking Bad universe. If this really was it, you know, we got the we got Breaking Bad, we got the El Camino movie, and now Better Call Saul. And it's just you know that's the end of this this world. Um, it was a great send off. And when I compare it, and I don't really want to compare the, the two shows about what's better or which one was better or not, because that's a whole other discussion for a different day. But I got to say, this was ha this has to be the greatest spin-off series that I can remember. You know, I, I don't know how a sequel series or a spin-off could ever be as good as this was. Um, it added to characters that we didn't really know needed to be added to, like... 
Saul was fine the way he was in Breaking Bad. Everybody loved Saul. He was the com- comedic relief. He was a great character. Um, so when they announced this prequel, Better Call Saul, we, we thought it was going to be like a comedy. I think people thought it was just going to be something something funny, something cool, nothing too deep. Not like as ambitious as Breaking Bad ended up being, right? But it was. It was on the same level. It was uh, a drama, and it was, and, you know, it was dark, and and it added so much more to to Saul that we didn't know we didn't really know they could do that right it just it's just crazy that they were able to take this this character that everybody loved and nobody had a any any gripes with and just turn him into this now this tragic character and now he's up there with is Walter White is the best overall character of this whole this whole universe really i mean you can make the argument that Saul's um Saul might be the best character overall in the in the whole in the whole uh, Breaking Bad universe. Honestly, that's how good he that's how good um, he was. That's how good uh, Bob Odenkirk was. Um, his portrayal of him in the show, you know, the personas going from Jimmy to Saul to Gene and, and doing all that, and it's a tragic character. So now, when you watch Breaking Bad, you you just feel bad for him. I mean, you you know you know he what happened to him, so you. At times you do feel bad, but you know that it was his fault. So that's that's what great writing does, right? It makes you root for uh, the bad guy, even the guy that you know is not a good person, uh, but there's redeemable qualities about him, which is why you you root for him, right? So it was a great send off, um, and I think I think it's it's up there with Breaking Bad. I do, I honestly do. Um, remember after season five ended, I wrote an uh, article saying how. I thought uh, Better Call Saul was just as good as Breaking Bad, and I and I, I think it it held up the end of the bargain with this uh, this finale. Um, it's it's right up there on the same, it's in the same um, stratosphere, you know, it's in the same same tier as Breaking Bad, and that's just crazy to to think about and for them to do that, you know, to to just now two shows like that, and and at this point they've earned so much um, trust with their audience and anything they decide to do next is, you know, I'm going to watch it. Right. So great show. Um, it just adds to the whole, the whole world, the whole breaking bad world. And it's, it's going to live on. I do think this show will live on. And, and just as breaking bad is lived on, I think better call Saul over time will start to gain more, more attention too. Um, I saw that the series finale didn't quadruple their viewership from the the premiere this year, so it's starting to gain some more notoriety. Um, and it, it, it's uh, yeah, it was it was great. It was a great show. Uh, spoilers, I should say. Now I'm saying at the end, but this is this is a spoilers for people that didn't haven't seen the show. Um, the fact that he ended up in jail and and uh, and uh, the whole just basically the whole ending. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts on Better Call Saul. Uh, I'm gonna end this uh, this podcast with uh, my thoughts so far on Legacy, the Lakers, the Lakers show on uh, Hulu, documentary on Hulu. So that'll be my next topic, and I'll close it out with that one. So Legacy is a Lakers documentary on on Hulu. So far, three episodes have aired. It's mostly about, I mean, it's about the Lakers, obviously, but it's really um, about the Bus family. Uh, as the main the main storyline of of uh, Jerry Buss 
buying the team originally in 1979 and um the legacy he he started when he bought the team um through the 80s so um, so the first three episodes um basically covered the the lakers dynasty in the 80s with magic and the showtime era um and i like it i mean so far i've actually i'm a little a little um surprised at how i guess authentic it feels you know normally when you have like a show like this a documentary about certain uh about an organization a team certain people and then the ones that are making it are are the ones being interviewed or the ones that it's about you know you're you're not going to be always honest or you're not going to have always honest honest uh takes or honest um yeah you're not gonna have a lot of honesty because it's being made by the same people that it's about right so um the fact that um i actually learned some things uh, you know as a big laker fan i a lot of the story i've heard um a bunch of times but i'm learning new things in this uh documentary um the fact that it wasn't all you know it wasn't always all all good you know and we and i know it wasn't always all good but um you know jerry buzz having having um basically problems with um financially buying the team uh, that was that was a, a big deal when it came to and they covered this in the the winning time series on uh hbo max uh, about how how uh he needed three million dollars to to buy the team um uh, and the and then the documentary legacy uh, Jerry Buss's former business partner borrowed three million dollars from one of the persons was Donald Sterling of all people. So you know, that's pretty crazy. I mean, when you, especially when you look at Donald Sterling and and uh, what happened with him, you know, former Clippers owner, racist Clippers owner. Um, so I'm learning cool cool details about um, stuff I didn't know about when it came to the the organization and behind the scenes stuff um, I know all the stories about what happened on the court uh, but all the behind the scenes stuff is is pretty interesting um, you know Byron Scott had uh, his mom became basically became a crack addict so I was that was pretty intense and he got you know it was a big thing during the crack era in the 80s and then um, you know players being jealous of magic because all the time he was spent was uh was um Jerry Buss and the friendship with Jerry Buss he had and the fact he got that 25 year 25 million dollar contract which um I always knew he got but hearing players feelings about about it at that time how they didn't really like that he got that contract and and they looked at him differently after that contract so that was that was interesting um you now Pat Riley taking over and and how intense his practices were so there's a lot of good stuff um, for for um, for any Laker fan, just a basketball fan. I'd encourage everybody to give it a watch if you want to learn about the Lakers, but also just about basketball. It's just a cool story. Um, um, a lot of a lot of a lot of big things, a lot of a lot of things that happened that um, changed the landscape of the NBA and and uh, the Lakers organization. Uh, so I know they're gonna go all the way up until present day. So far, just it's a it's a, it's a good watch. Uh, definitely been enjoying watching it. So my, that's my thoughts so far in the series, and uh, and yeah, I'll probably be doing more 
more uh more topics on it you know as as the show progresses uh, week by week um, but yeah that, i mean that'll be it for this podcast thank you guys for listening have a good day catch you on the next